it breaks my heart to know that 22,000 children are going to lose their lives by the end of this day. Let's humble ourselves and bow our heads for a word of prayer. We pray for justice, peace, and reconciliation. And when the challenges seem too many, remind us, God, of your resurrection power and the miracles of your love that happen whenever injustice is dismantled and rebuilt with peace. Help us to hope that the impossible can happen. And life, as if it, it might do so today, God of reconciliation and grace, you promise us a world where all is new, where love is born when hope is gone, when broken relationships are restored to allness. May we live as people who know your story of love. And we have the vision to imagine what could be possible if we dare to live this story. God of abundant life, may we be witnesses of love, hope, and peace, and co-creators of your life in the world. Amen. first reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning to read from verse 4. No one in Israel should ever be poor. The Lord your God is giving you this land, and he has promised to make you very successful if you obey his laws and teachings that I'm giving you today. You will lend money to many nations, but you won't have to borrow. You will rule many nations, but they won't rule you. After the Lord your God gives land to each of you, there may be poor Israelites in the town where you live. If there are, then don't be mean and selfish with your money. Moving down to verse 11. There will always be some Israelites who are poor and needy. That's why I am commanding you to be generous with them. second reading is taken from Mark chapter 14, beginning to read from verse 3. Jesus was eating in Bethany at a home of Simon, who once had leprosy, when a woman came in with a, with a very expensive bottle of sweet-smelling perfume. After breaking it open, she poured the perfume on Jesus' on Jesus's head. This made some of the guests very angry, and they complained, why such a waste? We could have sold this perfume for more than 300 silver coins and given the money to the poor. So they started saying cruel things to the woman. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. You will always have the poor with you. And, wherever you, and whenever you want to, you can give to them. He ends the readings.
we are delighted today to have two fabulous women in our midst. Um, Ms. Zari Gill is here and she's going to be joining us this afternoon for our international development activities at Tyndale. And I'm also very delighted to welcome um, Ms. Linda Tripp to Tyndale. She is a familiar face to many. She has been a mentor and friend to me since the beginning of my profession here at Tyndale, um, always supportive of the international development program. She's been to countless classes, giving of her time to teach our students with her knowledge and her experience, but also her very humble demeanor. Linda joined World Vision Canada in 76 and as Vice President led international programs for 22 years, becoming the first woman Vice President in the World Vision Global Partnership. In this capacity, she represented World Vision Canada to the government, other aid organizations, and has served on several coalitions and boards, including the very prestigious Canadian Council for International Cooperation. She chaired the Women's Commission that developed the, listen to this carefully, she chaired the Women's Commission that developed the very first gender policy for the World Vision Global Partnership. And in such role, she championed the cause of women and the girl child. Canadian development policy has changed because of this woman. Linda started World Vision Canada's development education program to increase donor and public awareness and understanding of poverty issues. She's traveled extensively, witnessing the work firsthand, attending international and United Nations conferences, speaking to various publics across Canada. She implemented World Vision's private sponsorship program for, for refugees and set up the Refugee Reception Centre in Toronto. She established and led the advocacy department that supports child rights, economic justice, and peace building. And in 03, she was named Vice President Public Affairs, providing oversight to advocacy and education, public relations, and church relations. Linda retired from World Vision in January 2008, but she continues to speak passionately to audiences about alleviating poverty and suffering, as we will see today, especially as it affects women and girls. She now serves on the board of several boroughs, boards, including Tyndale University College and Seminary, which is wonderful. As well, she serves on the Fistula Foundation and the MK Safety Net. The FF raises resources for prevention, education, and treatment of debilitating fistula resulting from unattended obstructive labor in childbirth suffered by women worldwide. And an MK Safety Net is an advocacy group supporting current and former missionary kids who were abused in missionary boarding schools. She is married to her husband, Doug Tripp, and they live in Rockwood. And we are so blessed to have such a wonderful woman with your experience speaking with us today. So please join me in welcoming Ms. Linda Tripp. Good morning, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me this morning. Tyndale holds a very special place in my heart. Um, although I've never been a student here, I have had a close association with you as a member of your Board of Governors for the last six years, which has allowed me to get to know several faculty and staff, not to mention our fearless leader, Dr. Nelson. And uh, you know, this is a great institution. But you already know that, right? That's why you're here. We are in a unique place. We have a unique message at a unique time. 
the quality and scope of education offered at Tyndale University College and Seminary is impressive. And as a development person, having served in World Vision for over 30 years, it has been both encouraging and delightful to get to know Professor Leah McMillan and follow the international development program she leads. And so here I am today asking a really tough question. Poverty eradication, is it a hopeless dream? Over the past couple of months, I read two books. Neither was a Christian book, but both spoke deeply to my heart. Behind the Beautiful Flowers by Catherine Boo takes you into Anawadi, a slum in Mumbai, India, where you meet several real people and walk with them through trials and dashed hopes and incredible loss. I kept thinking as I read chapter after chapter that something has to get better. What more exploitation or sadness can befall these people? Yet each ensuing chapter brought forth more misery and disappointment. Yes, there was the human spirit that somehow survives in the most inhumane conditions, but I was left sad and dispirited by the end. I think that if I had to live in Adawadi, the slum in Mumbai, I would just lie down and die. It seemed there was so little hope. The second book I read was Ascent of Women by Sally Armstrong, a Canadian journalist, human rights activist, and tireless campaigner for the rights of women and girls. This book is about the final frontier for women, having control over their own bodies, whether in zones of conflict, in rural villages, on university campuses, or in their own kitchen. When I say control over their own bodies, I'm not talking about abortion, which is often the first thing we think of when we hear that. I'm talking about oppression. Recent studies by economists such as Jeffrey Sachs and social scientists claim that women who gain such control, who are not oppressed, are the key to economic justice, economic development, and the end to violence in developing countries around the world. Ascent of Women tells dramatic stories of courage, tenacity, and wit that women and girls are using to alter their status quo. Chapters are written in mud brick houses in Afghanistan, on Tahrir Square in Cairo, in the forests of the Congo where women still hide from their attackers, and in a shelter in northern Kenya where 160 girls three years old to 17, are pursuing a historic court case against a government who did not protect them from rape, three to 17 years old. Women the world over are marching to protest honor killing, polygamy, stoning, and a dozen other religiously or culturally sanctified acts of violence, which not only keep them suppressed, but poor and uneducated as well. Ascent of Women was not about the world changing for the better, about eradicating poverty and injustice. It was about women changing the world they inhabited, in their family, their school, their village. This book tells stories of small successes, of courage and danger, but stories of hope. I hold my breath knowing that the stand many of these women and girls are taking puts them at great risk, yet they continue to stand for justice and their rights. I came away from this book feeling inspired and proud of their efforts, 
Though they are still far from the prize, each page was filled with hope. Two books, two reactions, one of despair and resignation, one of hope and admiration, one that left an emptiness declaring that the eradication of poverty and injustice is just a hopeless dream, one that says, yes, there is a way out. And we just heard two scriptures. What message do they give regarding this tough question? In both texts, there is a juxtaposition of wealth and poverty. In Deuteronomy, the Israelites are being told that if they obey the law, they will be successful and will have no poor among them. Yet it then says that they will have poor among them, so they are to be generous and compassionate. In the Mark text, the woman pouring expensive oil on Jesus is criticized because the oil could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus retorts that there will always be poor to help, but he won't always be with them. Is Jesus admitting, admitting that poverty eradication is a hopeless dream? Or could it be that Jesus' statement may in fact be an indictment on the Jews and perhaps on us? Because if they were living according to God's laws, there would be no poor. My apologies to the theologians here, and I may be way off base, but it seems worth considering. My reasoning for this comes from my experience in World Vision. It became evidently um, it became evident very early on that poverty is not in and of itself a natural phenomenon. It's not like an earthquake or a drought or a tsunami. Poverty, and by definition the poor, is caused by systemic injustice in the world that benefits the rich and powerful and keeps the poor marginalized and exploited. Whether that is the subjugation of women and girls, or in the corruption of governments, or in corrupt stock markets. Our world does not operate on the rules of Jubilee as outlined in Deuteronomy. Therefore, we do have the poor among us. Jesus was reminding us why they exist. He was not dismissing them, and neither can we. Will we ever eradicate poverty? I doubt it. Therefore, should we stop addressing the injustices that create and perpetuate poverty? Absolutely not. Nothing takes God by surprise. He knew what our world would be like, and he calls his children into that world, including the hard and dangerous and lonely places, to be light and salt, to overcome the darkness. Sometimes it seems like the world is getting worse, I don't think so. In Donald Craybill's book, The Upside-Down Kingdom, he describes the world of political intrigue, corruption, violence, and injustice that Jesus was born into and lived in. It is a compelling and challenging book about what it means to truly follow Jesus in our world today, a world where poverty and injustice are still rampant. But if we will never eradicate poverty and injustice, why bother trying? Why not put our energies into other things like a cure for cancer, eradicating genetic diseases, or getting to Mars? We do it because Jesus is telling us to. 
Isaiah. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphan. Plead the case of the widow. Proverbs. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those who go staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? We do it, but sometimes we fail. In 1998, World Vision, along with three other organizations, held a girl-child event in Toronto called Girls Stories Worth Telling. We had 31 girls from 11 countries come and tell their own stories. World Vision brought a little girl from India named Callie. Callie lived in a village where, historically, the women had always been temple prostitutes. But since the Rajas no longer existed, these women were simply prostitutes in their communities, and the men didn't work. World Vision went in and started a project teaching the women other skills so they didn't have to prostitute themselves. Callie was one of the first of her generation not to go into prostitution. And she came to Toronto and she told her story of what had been going on in her village. When Callie went back to her village,